However, what Bridget knows now through the grace of God and having a lot of time to reflect on this is God made therapists, God made medication, God made psychiatrists, he made treatment centers, he made all the things so that we can use them and we can still pray about it. In the back of your mind, your dreams should be real, right? Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dream. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and I have the great pleasure of having Bridget Bell with me today. Bridget. Good morning. Where are you? Alabama, Georgia? Out Atlanta. <laughs> Which part of the south am I? Atlanta. <laughs> Georgia. Bridget has an amazing event coming up, and I wanted to bring her on and help share her story with you guys. And before we dive too deep into this, what's the best way for our listeners to get in contact with you? Definitely on my webpage, uh, BridgetBell.com. Very simple, bridge, BridgetTTEBell.com. It's got my email, my phone number on it. If you text me, I will text you back. Um, not the best with social media. I'm working on that part of my life. (laughs) (laughs) I do have LinkedIn though. I use that. I do use my LinkedIn. That's how I see all your stuff. I do see you popping in and out in the hallways and LinkedIn every now and again. (laughs) Right. So I'm trying to figure out where the best way to go. And I think probably the best thing to do is just to learn a little bit about your story. So who's Bridget? What's she doing? What's she most excited about right now? Oh, wow. I'm most excited about the summit. Like you said, of course, I'm always excited about family, um, pursuing my dreams and things like that. But the 50 meter target, as we say in the army, is the Do More Together virtual summit that's coming up. Our theme is homecoming. We are very passionate about building a community around being Black West Pointers, but also making sure that community is inclusive. So you don't have to be Black. You don't have to be affiliated with the military or the academy. Um, but we, we're we building a space for people to kind of reconnect to what it means to be Black West Point grads and also share that story with the rest of, of the world, basically. So I'm really excited about that. It's coming up on the 28th through the 30th of October. It's a virtual summit. So just like everything else right now in, the, in life, if you want to, like you said, pop into the hallway for a little bit, pop back out. It's not um, something where we expect people to be glued to their computers for three days, but the content is phenomenal. The people are amazing. The stories are great. And there's a lot of lessons to be learned from these conversations. So we're really excited about being able to put that out there as like the child that we've grown for the last four years. It's been an amazing experience. So wait, they let ladies go to West Point now? What's going They let women in. They let everybody in. It's funny you say that because I was just yesterday telling a friend of mine how when I moved back to Mississippi a couple of years ago, 
a lot of people I run into would be like, I've never met a black woman who went to West Point. Like, that's a thing? And I'd be like, yeah, stop lying. And they'd be like, no, for real. I've never met one. And I think the beauty of it is, you know, we we surpassed the 40th anniversary of women at the academy while I was there teaching a couple of years ago. And it was lost on me until that milestone event that is still relatively new. So for me, I don't define myself by the fact that I went there, but it is a major part of who I am. And so being able to tell that story to other people who look like me, especially little black girls and young black teens and and young black women who don't know about it or who say to themselves, they can't do it. No, if, if I can do it, you can do it. Like that's, that's the bottom line takeaway whenever I have that conversation, which happens pretty often these days. Wait, but how'd you know that you wanted to go to West Point? Actually, I didn't want to go. So the funny story, very quickly, uh, my senior year of high school, no, my junior year of high school, my dad, who was in the Army too, he went to Alcorn State, he's HBCU grad, and did ROTC. So I, I grew up in the Army, but... His coworker at the time had a friend who taught there and she was like, hey, we're going up to West Point next weekend. If you and your daughter want to come, I know she's in high school. She's probably trying to figure out what she wants to do with her life. And we had joked about West Point because I had started getting um, email or not emails, the little pamphlets from the Air Force Academy. And we were like, Air Force, we're Army family. That ain't happening. But but my brain didn't immediately go to clearly I'm going to West Point. I had never met a black woman who went to West Point. I had met West Pointers, but I was young. I didn't know nothing. And because I grew up in the army, I was very adamant about reconnecting with being black. I grew up in Germany. So when I came back to the States in 96, I was a freshman in high school, confused, trying to figure out what to do with my hair because my hair is black hair, but it don't look like her hair. What have I been doing wrong? You know, my clothes, all the stuff. So I really had become committed to going to HBCU, you know? And so I came home one day with my little applications, uh, Alcorn and Jackson State, where my parents went, which is like the Army and Navy of Mississippi HBCUs. And they were like, "That's, that's fine. That's cute, but try again. Add more schools to your list. You're not only applying to those two schools. So then I went through this phase of Baylor. I want to be a doctor. Then I went through this phase of Harvard. Clearly, if I'm going to shoot for the stars, I might as well shoot for the star, right? And then his coworker invited us up there. We got there, Jerome. And you would have thought I was on a movie set because it wasn't what you think of, you know, General's Daughter, that movie, and how crazy and horrible it was. It was total opposite. The weather was nice. The people were friendly. My tour guide was happy. This little short, blonde girl. Happiest person. I was like, you like it here? And she's like, it's the greatest decision I ever made. What are your questions? Took me to, you know, the, the, around the campus. And the thing that it resonated with me, that the opportunities that I have at other schools in terms of what to study, the type of people I'm around, the types of clubs I can be involved with. I get that at the academy. And I already know the military in terms of I can do it. I grew up in it. Why wouldn't I take this opportunity now? I can go to Harvard later. I can go to Alcorn and Jackson State later. I need to see see if I can do this. 
get back home, looked up all the departments and realized they do have an actual pre-med program. So West Point pre-med, Baylor pre-med. I think I know which one probably would give me more what I want in my life. And here's really where the turning point was after that. One of my high school counselors, not a counselor, it was a, a teacher in high school. I went to him and was like, hey, I'm putting my application in. Can you, you're, you're probably going to have to sign something. And he was like, you, you're not going to be able to do that. Black dude. To this day, I remember the, when the light switch went on in my head. Because up to that point, everyone's telling me I can do anything. You got good grades, you're a leader, do what you want, the oyster is yours. He looked at me and said I couldn't do it, and I was like, damn it, I'm going to do it. So not only did I not know anything about it until I physically went there, when someone told me I couldn't do it, it was game on at that point. And so fast forward 20 years later, here we are. (laughs) Wow. So sometimes you do it in spite of, right? I'm going to prove that you can't. Tell me what I can't do. Yeah. Do you know who I am? No, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to come back and tell, tell you about it. Then when I got in, he was like, you're really going to do? You're really good? Yes, I am. I absolutely am. And meanwhile, in my head, I'm like, I can really tell you 100% why. I don't really know what I'm getting into. Like in my head, I'm saying all these things. But out loud, I'm like, I'm, I got this. You know who my dad is? Leave me alone. But yeah, so I tell that I say that because I do tell these young people a lot of times, or even older people who were like, I could never have done it. Yeah, you could have. It's a mind game before it's anything else. I was broken. I had to get four waivers physically to get in, but I pushed through and I had a great community of people around me to help me with the parts that I needed help with. And now, you know, with the with Do More Together we recognized that one of the gaps we had was a lack of a black alumni organization. There's a huge alumni association and there are pockets of, of, of support groups that are around certain things, sports, um, things you did when you were cadets, whatever, but we didn't have a black group. We had a West Point women group that was thriving and, and doing phenomenal things. We didn't have a black group. And so when we sat down and decided to start the organization, it was almost like the same thing when you make a decision, do I go to West Point? People saying you can't do it. People asking why it's needed. And so often I get that. Any leading university has a Black alumni group. Harvard does. Yale does. All the people do. All of the HBCUs have their own alumni organizations. West Point is no different. And we were very purposeful in making sure it wasn't a minority organization. It wasn't for people of color. It was for Black and African-American people. But anyone is welcome to the table. Yeah. Targeted, but inclusive. Targeted, but inclusive. Yeah. They get scared when they niche down, right? They're scared to say, oh, these are the people we're targeting because they don't want to be exclusive. But you guys are being very clear about your message. And I think that's phenomenal. The thing that I, I kind of want to shift into now is, so you you got to West Point, you didn't really know a lot about it before you went and you get there and you're there while 9-11 happens, I think. Yeah, it was my sophomore year. I, I was, it's crazy you asked that because I was thinking about this yesterday. I was on my way to class. Another good friend of mine was like, 
we kind of crossed paths in the, in the hallway and not, it's this big open room. And so it was me and him going in one door and out the other. And he goes, Bridget, did you hear what happened? Some planes hit some buildings in the city. We were 45 minutes north of, of New York City. So, you know, when people say the city, you're talking about New York. And I'm like, boy, stop playing. Go to class. And I kept it moving. And then the entire world stopped like five minutes later when I walked into cl- my classroom. It was my physics class. And everyone was staring at the computer. I mean, at the I keep saying that the TV was mounted on the wall and everyone was looking at it. And while our attention was drawn to New York City, my family was in the D.C. area. My dad was supposed to be at the Pentagon. Now, my mom was supposed to be at the Pentagon. My dad was in D.C. My sister was like in fourth, fifth grade. So I was thinking about that because while the towers are going down, we're hearing that something's going on at the Pentagon as well. It's still surreal to think about. And my class was the last class that could have left without any commitment after that. So like we roll right into our affirmation ceremony where you're basically committing to staying, you know, right after the next year. And so we could have left and I could venture to guess the numbers of the people who left were very few. It just became, this is why we're here. You know, things got very real. Of course, the post shutdown, we were in our rooms for days, just watching it on TV, talking to family. And I remember when I talked to my dad finally, and he was like, I would not judge you if you decided to come home. But it was like one of those things you say, but he knew that I wasn't going anywhere. And so he and I were talking about that not long ago. So I was like, what did, what did it feel like? When I called you, when you finally reached me, that had to be hard. And he was like, yeah, I mean, I, I understood the, the sacrifice that you were making and being there. So I understood. But of course, it was, a, it was a tough time to be in the military, to be in college. And I think about these young people now who are in a different version of tough times than what we went through back then. But some of the similarities are very interwoven, you know not being able to reach family, not being able to go home, people dying every day. It's a challenging experience. And I I often reflect on that because if I don't remember what that felt like, I will take for granted what it means for someone else to make a sacrifice that I may not understand. Does that make sense? Like you have to constantly reflect on that. If you're going to be empathetic, if you're going to care about other people's passions, you can't sit in your own mind and be like, people don't know what it means to sacrifice. No, everyone's version of sacrifice is different. You know, so, yeah, it was it was an interesting time, though. Why didn't you leave? It was game on at that point. Jerome, it was like, we're here for these moments. If not me, who? It literally is like that that moment when you ask that question. I wouldn't want anyone else to have to do the things that we have to do going forward. Now, the cost of that, I still can't put in words. The people we've lost, the years of war, all those things are, are still very hard to articulate how that makes you feel on the inside. But the legitimate, you know, pride and the commitment of knowing that I played a role in protecting my family, in representing my country. And for me, it goes deeper than my country. You know, it's 
this is the time for my people to have a seat at this table that a century ago we didn't have. You know, we weren't recognized for our service back then. We were told we were less than and incapable of doing the things. Now, because I went on this weekend trip to West Point, I have a seat at this table. If I leave, I'm going to set us back. That that was, you know, you you think about things like that. Now, being a parent now, I'm like, if this happens again, I'm going to get my baby. I'm not playing these games. But I see now what my parents must have gone through because I have a different perspective of what that means when it's your child or your family member, you know? That's heavy. So did you have to go to war? Like, were you deployed? Yeah. I got to Fort Bliss in 2004, 2005. I graduated in 2004, got to Fort Bliss in 2005, and I deployed 2006 to Iraq. I went to Mosul. We were in Kuwait when Saddam Hussein was killed. And I remember we were like, folks were like, okay, so why are we, are we leaving now? Like, what are we doing? And uh, we got to Mosul and we ended up getting extended to 15 month deployment early on. So it wasn't a shock for us. And then there was a point where we thought we might actually end up going to Baghdad so there was this, like, where are we going? What are we doing? It was just a lot. It was a lot of things changing very quickly. We were a brand new unit. So this was when the Army was shifting to a different type of organizational structure. We were a brand new brigade combat team. We'd only been in existence for a year before we deployed. And so we went from having no equipment, having no buildings, having, you know, very little to being in country. And that was a huge shift. And for me, you know, being a lieutenant, you learn very quickly to get the heck over the change and and figure it out. And so for me, that was a huge part of my development as a young officer. And then, of course, just as a woman, I was post-divorce. My parents separated while I was deployed. So also feeling bad that I'd left my sister, who was a senior in high school. Um, I was my unit's sexual assault response person. So at the battalion level, when there was a sexual assault or a rape or any type of accusation and a soldier needed support, I would be the one who responded. And I did that for almost three years. And so it was more than just, oh, we're deployed. My brain was also deployed. You know, I, my heart was deployed. I was trying to figure myself out. And, you know, I don't share this often, but that's part of the reason why I, don't, I just don't rock with social media like that. Because Facebook was becoming popular when all of that was happening. 06, 07, that was when our generation was really diving into Facebook. And it's like, I don't really know what to say when someone's like, what are you up to these days? I found you on Facebook, you know? So I'm still learning how to kind of answer that question. But that was the first couple years of my army career. And, you know, I, I'm grateful for the experience. It, you look back and say it was a blessing more so than in the moment. You're like, this is such a blessing. But I did learn a lot um, about what I could handle through that experience. Wow. So that sounds like trauma to me. And Oh, yeah. Basically, that's what we're saying. It was traumatic as heck. Yeah. And so you're working on your PhD, right? 
I am. I'm getting my PhD now in clinical psychology. I wish I could say that I knew back then that psychology was like a thing that should be explored and appreciated. No, I was like, pray about your stuff. Who going to therapy? No, we don't do that. We pray. And so 10 years later, the light bulb came on and I was like, oh, I probably should go to therapy. And then I was like, you know what? Maybe I should be a therapist. And so here I am um, with the with the byline that my goal is to help the army kind of revolutionize the way we do business when it comes to psychology, incorporating it earlier and more often, especially for HR people like me. We don't get taught, you know, human be mind, body, soul when it comes to customer service, when it comes to making career decisions. We get the HR training. But any corporate chief of people person these days is getting all the other psychology stuff too. So that's what I'm trying to impart my degree on when I get back on active duty to make sure we do that better within the HR community. What's up, tribe? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know that we put together a free 15-point checklist for exiting the matrix. Jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up. Let's get back to the show. You said something, and I, I want to dive on it. You said, I just prayed about it. Mm-hmm. Did a lot of praying. Talk to me more about what that really means and what the difference is between praying about it and actually going to some form of counseling to get help for your traumatic experiences? That's a great question. Um, I tell people all the time, like God is my center and my everything when it comes to, I know where I get my strength from. And that's infusing me generations of people in my family, my parents, all the things. However, what Bridget knows now through the grace of God and having a lot of time to reflect on this is God made therapists, God made medication, God made psychiatrists. He made treatment centers. He made all the things so that we can use them and we can still pray about it. You know, I used to think it was a sign of weakness to need more than what my creator can give me in a spiritual realm as opposed to recognizing that if he gave me the skills that I have, he gave this other person the skills they have to help me with my stuff. It took a lot for me to be able to see those two things together. And and now I don't, for people who may not have heard of Dr. Anita Phillips, she has a t-shirt. She says, prayer is a weapon. Therapy is a strategy. I think it's what she says. You know, one is an actual strategy. The other one is a way to accomplish that strategy. As a military person, that resonates with my core. Whenever I see her say that, because it's like, now I see where the two can coexist and it's okay. And so I want to be one of those people that helps people like me see the value. If I could have my my therapy office in a church, that's a good day at work for me, you know, because they should be coexisting and not just giving people this mindset that you have to go somewhere to get treatment. I I, I tell people all the time, I don't want to be a therapist that's stuck in a, in a room with no windows, with a couch and a clipboard. Like I can't, I can't do that. 
it took going to school for me to learn that I need something different. So my current thing, because there's a lot of things, you know me, there's a lot of random things that I attach my attention to, but something that has to do with like being a botanist and, and doing gardening instead of sitting in a, in a uh, office, a therapy office, we're going to go out to my garden, some botanical psychology, something that gives me a way to help people see that you can infuse the treatment into any part of your life, the church, the garden, the basketball court, whatever your thing is, that's where I will meet you as a therapist. I'm not going to ask you to come to my office and sit on my couch. No judgment to people who that's, that's a thing. It's okay. But I just need something different. I love it. Right. The approach is different. And I think it's going to tear down some of the barriers that exist for people getting the support that they need. And whether they're willing to admit that they actually need that support or not, that's just phenomenal. That revolutionizing. I don't I've never heard of anything like that before. So I think that's like amazing. I can't wait to see that come to light. Have you actually been through therapy? And if you have, like, what was your biggest fear going into it? I have. Um, and honestly, once I finally made the decision to go, I, I didn't have any room for fear of therapy. It was the fear of what if I don't go? You know, what if I don't go and then I don't get better? Or even for me, like, I tend to ruminate. Like, I can, I can overthink something in my head for days at a time. So the fear for me is, what if I assume that it won't help? And then I'm still thinking about this tomorrow. When in reality, I could just go dump it out of my brain and then she could think about it. So, or he can think about it. So for me, it was more so the fear of not going than the fear of going. But there had to be something holding you back from the point when you knew this was available to where you actually took advantage of it. And I, I guess I need to couple that with the thought or idea that you had to know there was something wrong. Sometimes we don't know there's something wrong. So like, can you walk me down that process and then we'll bring it back to some of the other stuff I wanted? Yeah, for me, it was, I was dealing with grief, like real traumatic grief and guilt around it. And so I thought no one could understand. Like, I'm gonna go talk to these people, but they don't understand. They haven't walked in these boots these last few years to understand what that part of my life is like and how it relates to why I'm struggling to get through this part of my life. So I'm going to go in here. I'm going to talk to this person. I'm going to have to spend 20 minutes explaining the backstory. And then they're, they're going to look at me like they understand. They're going to lie and tell me they understand and they don't understand. And then they're going to ask me, so why are you here? And I'm going to be like, well, you tell me why I'm I here. I just gave you the backstory, you know? So when you're a person who overthinks things, you could play out a whole scenario where this isn't going to help me. And I think that maybe to your point was what was keeping me from that, because at the end of that thought process, it would be, I'm just going to pray about it. Let me call my pastor and pray, you know, let me get on my knees as opposed to maybe the, the answer to your prayer is in your face and in your stubbornness, you're just not seeing it. Give it a shot. And when I reached a point where I could not separate the rumination over that 
from my day-to-day life. It was getting in the way of work. It was getting in the way of school. It was getting in the way of me wanting to spend time with people. And I just said, you know what? I can't, I don't want to do this anymore. I just need to dump this and let somebody else tell me what to do to fix it. And then I will move on. I'll go one time and then I'll, I can be able to say for the rest of my life, yes, I did try therapy. It didn't work and I'm not trying it again. And, 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 and I'm glad that you're asking me to reflect on this because what I did do is when I reached out to the, the people who coordinate that outside of the military, and I specifically said, I'm only going to go if you find me someone who's a Christian therapist. It took them about four days to find someone, but they did. And so then I was like, dang, I don't have an excuse now. They gave me what I asked for. I'm going to look real dumb if I don't go. And the next time my best friend calls me and says, girl, did you go? What am I going to tell her? I can't lie to her, you know? So I, they gave me what I asked for. My one requirement was met. At that point, it was on me, you know? And I only did go one time, but that's irrelevant. I went and I found the five minutes of the conversation that got me through that season of my life. I got it because I went. Well, what's interesting is in that, story you shared the reason why you were scared of the biggest scared to go yeah want to work right so right. then you went it worked and not only did it work but it changed your whole perspective on the industry and what should happen and things that would make it available and better for others so this is like super 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 amazing so then we go from there and we have a mutual friend, Greg Washington, is on this mission of raising awareness about complex grief and PTSD. And in a lot of ways, you're advising him on this journey. So it might be obvious to some why you're drawn to it, but I, I don't like to assume anything. Why attach yourself to that type of mission? Because it seems kind of glum and drum. And then we'll wrap all this back to the summit that's upcoming. Thank you. That's a great question. You're making me do a lot of thinking, Jerome. I think for me, I, I as for everything that we say, you know, we, when you get awards or you get asked these big questions, it comes back to mom. I saw my mother starting with maybe 2012, 2011, lose the three people in her life that she was closest to both her parents and her sister died. You know, my grandmother was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. She passed away. My aunt had brain cancer for seven years and she fought hard and we lost her. And then my grandfather passed away from age, but also, you know, probably from missing the love of his life. I feel that watching her endure that just changed the human side of me that saw her as just my mom and saw her as someone who's dealt with grief before in the sense of like her grandparents and and my great grandparents and things like that. But like losing someone and watching it happen over a period of time can be just as traumatic as tragically losing someone if you have this attachment to them. And so the strength that I saw in her to 
do that and and her siblings as well and my cousin whose mom passed away it it made me really recognize that there are different types of grief there are different ways we grieve there are different things i got a front seat to that and then i had free time over christmas break looked up some training i was like let me go to go do some training. I'm a nerd like that. When I got time and I want to travel, I'll look up conferences in places I want to go. And so I found the complicated grief training and I was like, wow, I wonder if my mom has that. And if she did, I would not judge her because I don't know anyone who's dealt with what she's dealt with in the last few years. Maybe if I go to this training, I can help my mother. I can speak her language better around how to cope you know, because she was doing so well, but then there would be days where it would be hard for me to find the words to comfort her. So I went to the training so I could be a better daughter. And I found an entire world of, of, of a conversation around grief that I hadn't even heard of. And I'm at that point, I was in my third year of, of my clinical psych degree. I already had gone to school grad school before around a psychology topic where we talked about human level things like the person level and the system level psychology and the intersection of the two. And we never talked about what grief can do to you and what it can do when you can't incorporate it into your day-to-day life. Grief doesn't go away. You learn how to incorporate it. When it doesn't get incorporated, it gets complicated. And so my mind was blown, of course. And I'm like, Greg, have you heard of this? So we're looking this stuff up and trying to understand like why it doesn't get talked about. And for me, within the first two days of, of the training that I went to, I was like, there's a cultural piece here. Anybody, anybody want to talk about being Black, being Hispanic, being a woman, being all the things with respect to grief? And so when we got to that part of the conversation, the dialogue within the, the class with the instructors who were actual practicing psychologists or LPCs and the, the um, other students was so enriching because no one said culture doesn't matter. Everyone was like, no, this is a thing. Let's talk about it. And it was just phenomenal. And I feel like it's helped me talk about grief better. It's helped me process some of the issues. I remember I told you why I went to therapy the first time was around grief. I had a much better understanding of why I dealt the way that I did after going to that class. So for anyone who's interested, Columbia University has a whole center. It's called the Center for Complicated Grief. They are um, housed within the social work program there. At Columbia. And so the, there's training, there's a wealth of knowledge around complicated grief on the website. And I would encourage anyone, whether you're grieving or not, but especially right now where we are in the world, to kind of tap into those resources. There's even an online quick survey you can do to assess whether you may be dealing with it. And then you can find a therapist who specializes and has gone through that training. So yeah, that's that's the why for me. Definitely my mom. To be a better daughter. That's phenomenal. Now let's put a bow on this thing because we went a bunch of different places and 
people may not be able to see how it all links back to the same place. So about the summit. Let's talk about why you're excited about it and what people can expect to attend. Thank you for asking. So the Do More Together virtual summit, summit.domoretogether.org is our webpage and it's Do More, the number two together. We are creating space for what we call healing, homecoming, and hope. So what does that mean? That means when you are a person of color or when you are a person marginalized or not from the majority of anything, you may not always see you in that experience or some of the things you went through, maybe you want to talk about and share that experience with other people. We will be doing that. We're also going to provide a career enhancing opportunities. So job prep, Uh, connections to people who may have jobs to offer, networking opportunities, and then talk specifically about Black excellence in America, um, trailblazers within the West Point community, trailblazers and leaders within the Army community, and of course, the other other services as well are welcome to attend. So homecoming is our opportunity to create the space that's led by us, but open for all. And we can make sure people understand There is a subset of the West Point community that is of color, that is Black or African-American, however you choose to identify. And we just love to work with people. We really believe in our motto, Do More Together, in the name of our organization, because we know that we cannot shift into overdrive when it comes to being leaders in this country as Black professionals if we are not actively doing those things. So that's what people can expect. And and why it all connects for me is it's all about representation. When you see yourself somewhere, the possibilities of what, what you can accomplish, who you can become are endless. That's the case for why I went to West Point. That's the case for why we started a Black alumni group. That's the case for why, for the however many a time I'm back in school, trying to figure out a way to change the game So people like me will not say, I'm going to pray about it and be done with it. No, I'm going to create a space for you to play about it and be done with it, for you to pray and go to therapy, for you to journal and do all the things. I am truly committed to creating a space for my daughter to where there's no question about any of these things. There's no question about she can go to West Point. There's no question about she can plug into a community of people who want her to succeed. There's no question that it's okay to go to therapy. And if she's going to be a better daughter for me, because I'm going to get old one day too, we have to have these conversations earlier. So for me, that's how it all connects. I I would love to connect with people who want to learn more, whether it's about um, careers in psychology, whether it's about careers in the military, whether it's about West Point, uh, feel free to connect with me and, and make sure that like you always tell us, We push ourselves to expect more of ourselves. I feel like you send that message every time I plug in to my LinkedIn hallway or to your website or I get an email. You are pushing us to expect more of ourselves. And I want to be around people who want that just as much as I do. So thank you for giving me a chance to kind of talk about all the things that I don't talk about enough, clearly. Bridget, I appreciate your service. I appreciate thank you for your support and your ambitions. And I believe the world's going to be a better place because you've walked here. 
the your daughter the tools to manage trauma is something that I don't think enough parents are ever even considering. I talked to Raquel a couple of weeks ago to help young ladies or not you know, just young ladies, teenagers who are dealing with depression. And most parents just because we're parents and we're perfect and we got it all figured out, we can't tell kids that we struggled or that we didn't know how to do this or how to do that. And so we let them go figure it out on their own. And usually they go talk to their peer group who doesn't know any more than what they do. And so they got the blind lead in the blind and they end up in a place where they make really poor choices. And it's because of our pride and our ego and us trying to present ourselves and posture in a way so that we have credibility with people who see through all of that because they're there when we let our guard down. So I'm just so excited to see what comes of this very worthy pursuit and want to be a part of the solution because I think the world needs to see more of it. So I know the folks who've listened have enjoyed this story because I did. And so that's enough for me. How can folks get registered for the summit and what's the best way to connect with you? Summit.domoretogether.org, the number two together. And you can connect with me on my website, BridgetBell.com or I am on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook, but It'll take me two weeks to respond. But LinkedIn, I look at that at like three in the morning every night. So I will hit you up on LinkedIn if you hit me up. Um, But definitely, you know, Jerome, I can't say enough how grateful I am for your community and and what you're doing in the world. And so I will continue to stay connected and, and do more to make sure that I stay plugged in with you. And then anyone who reaches out to me, you know, I will, I will definitely respond and, and continue to have this conversation beyond the summit, beyond um, the, the dream catchers, but also when it comes to just the day-to-day things that we deal with. I'm here to even talk about that kind of stuff. So thank you so much. Thanks again, Bridget. We'll talk soon. All right. Take care. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.